What is up? What is up? What is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight, Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and also be sure you check out the website as well at themitchdavisshow.com. It is Monday, July 19th, opening days of the SEC Media Days down there in Hoover, Alabama. But on today's podcast, we're going to have a very, very special guest all the way from Athens, Georgia, a SEC journalism legend and a guy that needs no introduction in the Southeast, a guy that has been to 61 consecutive Masters golf tournaments there in Augusta, Georgia. Mr. Lawrence Smith will be momentarily to talk all things Georgia athletics, including a little bit of snippet about the Masters as well. Before we jump into the podcast, I want to make sure you follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight, Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and also be sure you head on over to the website for wall-to-wall coverage of the SEC Media Days in Hoover, Alabama this weekend at themitchdavisshow.com. At this time, I would like to welcome Lauren Smith to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I am joined now by a man that, quite honestly, and if you grew up in the Southeast a region, you you know who this man is by his voice and by his love for his beloved Georgia Bulldogs. Mr. Lawrence Smith, welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Well, thank you, Mitch, for having me. I appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Smith, I, I, I want to say this before we even get down the road of talking about the Bulldogs or talking about the Masters. I want to say this. Our good buddy and a mutual friend, Rob Brown of Sidelines.Live, I tell you what, he introduced me to you a couple months ago. He had you on his radio show, and I was fortunate enough to be on that show. And growing up as a Kentucky fan, Lauren, I I, I idolize you as a journalist. I, all, I said, man, I want to be like Lauren Smith. I want to be like John Ward and Kaywood Letford and, you know, and Bob Kessling and so many great names across the Southeastern Conference. So it, it's such an honor to honor for you to come on my podcast. And how are things going down there in Athens, Georgia right now? Well, we're like everybody else. We're hoping that there's not going to be any, any backlash from COVID. I know the fans are excited that I know, and that is. They're excited about uh, being able to tailgate once again. They're happy that the stands will be full and will be business as usual. At least we're headed in that direction. But, uh, you know, still, uh, I don't know what the statistics are uh, state by state, but uh, we, I think in Georgia, we're only 40-something percent vaccinated, so there's a lot of people out there that aren't vaccinated, so it's going to be easy still for a team to get in trouble overnight if players follow, uh, if they don't follow the protocol that they've been given. Now, Georgia did a good job of it last year. It didn't have anybody that caused us a problem. But Kobe uh, Smith can wreck a football team before a big game. You know, it really can. We actually saw that several times. I actually just got done interviewing a couple days ago the Sunbelt Commissioner, Keith Gill, out of the Sunbelt Conference, and he was talking about that. I want to talk about this Georgia team before we get into all of these great stories that you have. This is a Georgia team that returns seven starters on offense, four on defense, what are you hearing around the locker room about the Bulldogs this season? Well, when you're the age uh, that 
college athletes are these days, and this is uh, uh, traditional. Uh, I know in 1965, maybe it was, uh, or it could have been 66, Vince Dewey's second or third year, when this thing took place, we had a really uh, very enthusiastic, good guy, good leader, a guy named George Patton made All-America, after having been moved from quarterback to uh uh, defensive tackle, they asked him, some sports writer, what he thought about the season. George said, well, we want to win them all. And then Dooley liked to have a, a fit because he was afraid he was going to come out. And George predicted that we'd win them all. Uh, but kids feel that way. And uh, I would imagine that uh, you'll see a story about some college team this year winning big somewhere. Uh, that they got together before the season and dedicated themselves to winning a championship. Well, maybe all of the teams do it, but makes a good story for the one that does win, but all of them not going to win. <laughs> I've heard this story in uh, high school football for years that uh, a team wins a state championship. Some players said, well, we got together and decided in August that we're going to dedicate ourselves and we're going to win the state title. Well, how many other teams said that and it didn't turn out? So kids feel uh, that they can win and you don't want them to uh, not feel that way. But I think if you're a coach, you worry about them talking too much and it comes off different from how they feel, how they want it to come off. Now that kind of leads me into this next question because obviously we're going to get into the roster standpoint and all that of Georgia but how do you, through the years, and obviously you've covered a lot of Georgia football, you've covered a lot of SEC football, and what, 50, 60 years of the Masters as well. As a coach, how do you kind of look at these guys and say, all right, SEC media day is coming up, but Kirby Smart, how do you, how do you, what do you, what does Kirby Smart say to the guys? Not to, to say enough, but not to say too much to give ammunition to, let's say, Clemson on September 4th. Well, I'm not privy to, uh, uh, Kirby's conversation with any player or players. But I know how he feels. He would only caution them, just don't say anything that's a prediction. Don't predict you're going to win it. Simply say, we want to win it. Uh, and that uh, is obviously uh, how other coaches, I'm sure, uh, handle it with their own teams, too. You just don't want to come off to where you say something that gets mis- uh, sort of miss the land and gets on a bulletin board in the locker room where they can target your quote or target you too. Uh, you know, so a um, coach just wants uh, players to just talk about how much fun it is to play college football and how much you want to win, not make any predictions. <laughs> Have you seen anything out of Zamir White, a guy, a running back that everybody is really high excited about? Talk about what you've seen in his development during this offseason. Because he, talk about Zamir White and his offseason develop a little bit of what you've seen just in the practices you've been to. Well, he's big and he's strong and he's uh, uh, a guy with uh, good speed. Uh, he might not have the top speed of uh, a running back, but he can go the distance if that crack is big enough and he can get through it. He has all the skills that you want. I just had to come overcome a lot of injury problems early in his career. But he's a great kid, willing to carry the load, 
And he wants to be called on. He wants to run the football. And I think his attitude is he'd like to be one of those old-time backs that uh, takes the ball 20 and 25 times a game. Of course, nobody does that that often anymore because you want fresh backs in there, and then you want people who want to play. Uh, and uh, if, if you have the uh, good fortune to have enough depth, you're going to win a lot more games by keeping those guys happy, running the football, and having someone that was fresh at the right time uh, when you make your substitution call. So he's just uh, a great young man, and he really does want to run the football, and he doesn't mind carrying the load. But we've got other backs around him and behind him, and so they want to run uh, care of all too. I'm sure it'll be like the trend is across college athletics now. Uh, if you have a player who is managed, he gets so many carries, let him run the ball as often as he can. If you want him to be there in November, he's best. Now I've got to ask you about a running back in particular, and we're going to still talk a little bit about this year's team, but a guy from your hometown, Wrightsville, Georgia, Herschel Walker, and unless you live underneath the rock or you've never been around SEC football, you don't you, you would know who Herschel Walker is. And even me as a 24, 25-year-old kid always knew, hey, Herschel's one of the best running backs in college football. I, I've heard this story on the sidelines, and I want to ask you this story on the Mitch Davis show here. Talk about that recruitment of Herschel Walker because you have such a cool and awesome relationship with Herschel Walker. Well, he's from my hometown, and that really uh, was an exciting experience for me. I sort of discovered the Herschel life. Um, because of my old high school, I tried to get speakers for their annual high school football banquet. And I took uh, Ray Goff, I think, who later became the Georgia head coach down to speak, and a family friend, an agribusiness guy, a farmer, uh, pointed Herschel out and said, you see that boy back there sitting down the third row, back of the room, his name is Herschel Walker, you better tell Coach Drew, check him out, he's going to be a great football player. Well, I brought the news back to Athens and everybody laughed at me because uh, Rysel had never had any player done anything that uh, was major. At least the kind of thing people knew about across the state and even out of state. And uh, so they laughed at me and said, Do you all play football down in Riceville, Georgia? Oh, Herschel ran nine seven hundred yard dice the next spring, so I kidded all the coaches that all live out for Riceville. So uh, Herschel was just a natural wonder. Remarkable young man. Not only with great skills and abilities with had perhaps one of the greatest abilities a football player can have, and that's the dual ability. Now, he could carry the ball 30 times a game and seem just as fresh in the fourth quarter as he did in the first quarter. So he could keep the chains moving. He was a phenomenal athlete, a very exceptional athlete in that not only could he do what you wanted to do on game day, he was great in the locker room. Everybody wanted to play like Herschel. You give up yourself. You give team the team credit. He was such a wonderful influence in the locker room that made a difference in our nineteen eighty season winning the national championship. So when when Herschel was getting recruited to Georgia, how much influence did you have on Herschel Walker? And did you know his family before you saw him 
play in a high school game, or was it kind of a luck of the draw thing where you saw this magnificent running back and he told Georgia, hey, you better go talk to him. How was that? How did that relationship develop? And how did he basically end up? Because I know he was recruited across the SEC after you told all the SEC coaches about him, but talk about how he ended up. Well, I couldn't recruit because uh, the NCAA rules uh, wouldn't allow that. Uh, I talked to my friends uh, in Rachel, the people I grew up with and who stayed there. Um, but uh, Mike Cabin was assigned to recruit pressures in his territory, and he did a terrific job. I used to kid Mike that he saved as much time down there. He should have paid taxes. Johnson <laughs> County, County, but uh, Mike just did a marvelous job uh, getting to know and developing a relationship and a trust with Herschel and his family. And I, I did have a little funny story I could tell uh, everybody uh, who uh, answering the question we did have, did you have any influence? Uh, Herschel had a sister who was really, uh, Veronica, she was a year old, and she was really a terrific athlete herself. And Herschel's ambition, this has been written about, uh, when he's coming along with the first ambition, which I run his sister, his older sister. So, uh, Vince, here we uh, A year before Herschel signed, with Veronica, graduating from high school, and Georgia gave uh, Veronica Walker a full uh, scholarship for women's track. We didn't have a women's track team. <laughs> so when people said, did you have me, did you help recruit Herschel? I said, no, all I do is recommend the coach to me give her a sister a scholarship. <laughs> oh, me. I, I, I tell you what, those are the stories before we get into the rest of these questions, but those are the stories, and Lauren, maybe you can attest to this, but those are the stories that make SEC football what it is today. You know, it, it, the thing that separates the SEC from, let's say, the Big Ten or the Big 12 or any of those other great conferences is the fact that our history, that our roots are so rooted in the folklore. I mean, you have a guy, uh, Herschel Walker, come out of Rottsville, Georgia, who is, you know, South Georgia, that is that is Georgia as you can get. And he comes there and wins a national championship and brings home that to the state of Georgia and also yourself. So that kind of leads me to this question before I get into another Bulldog question. But what does the University of Georgia mean to you personally? Well, I feel the same way about uh, Georgia that others feel about their uh, school. It's my alma mater. So naturally, I uh, uh, feel like uh, uh, Georgia's uh, certainly a great place to be. It's a wonderful experience. And tied in with that, my really disappointment in the uh, situation that we're dealing with today with today's athletes, they're so bent on getting a uh, quick uh, opportunity to get to the National Football League that they, they can't enjoy the college experience. That's the greatest thing that you can enjoy in life is to have a wonderful college experience. There's nothing quite like it. And uh, I regret it for so many kids today. They're so focused on how much money they can make. And as soon as they get to the NFL, they don't get to enjoy the campus experience and they don't get the 
interact with their students and they'll uh, be able to uh, uh, turn a forward relationship on indefinitely. Now, they will have friends, and they'll have friends in the NFL, but that's probably the chance to me is one of the finest things there is in life. And I just hate so many kids today with their rush to get to the NFL and with their determined focus to prepare for the NFL. I understand it, but I regret that the college experience and the college life uh, is not there in too many cases. Some will do it, some will take advantage of it. But yeah. It's, it's, it's more like a business now, and I regret that. Now, I've got two more Georgia questions before I ask you a couple of Masters, and I'll let you go on this beautiful Friday night as we end closer to the college football uh, season. Other than, obviously, that 1980s national championship team that had a, just a magnificent season, what has been one or two of your just favorite Georgia Bulldog teams that you pinpoint and say, hey, you know what, that was a fun team to cover? And it might not have been the you know a Sugar Bowl champion, but what are two or three of those teams that you can pinpoint other than the nineteen eighty championship game? But who are those other teams that you say, hey, you know what, that was a fun and special group of guys? Well, being something of a historian, at least as it relates to Georgia football, uh, I can appreciate the nineteen forty two team. Everybody was concerned about the way the war was going, which wasn't very Good. We were having to fight a war on two fronts, and we go to the Rose Bowl, and it just was a wonderful experience. It just made a little town of Athens just bust apart at the seams with pride and happiness. I appreciate that team. Uh, I appreciated all the teams eventually because I joined the staff of the Heat team in 1964, and he uh, had a Hall of Fame career. Won six SEC championships. So, uh, all of those teams, I knew the players, and now today I deal with a lot of players for one reason or another. I edited the football program from 1966 until last year when we went away with the printing program and went to an electronic program. And uh, so, we still have, have it. You can go to online and get it, but it's not as much fun as maybe being an old newspaper or having an old newspaper background. It's just been hard for me to to really get used to something that isn't in print. So uh, I interviewed people across the board. I've interviewed uh, all of our great old-timers, Bud Chandler, who... Uh, uh, was a great two-way player here. He was a uh, football and baseball player. Picked for the New York Yankees, most valuable player in the American League, 1943. Captain Smith, who scored all the points in Georgia's dedication game over uh, Yale in Athens in 1929. And one newspaper, uh, yeah, taking a cue from his name, they liked his nickname, uh, headline, Catfish, uh, 15, Yale, nothing. Uh, just interviewing those guys and getting to know them. And then 1959, I was in school at Georgia and Brian Tarkin, if it became a great plan, uh, led us to the SEC championship. So that was a favorite team. And because that took place while I was in school, it was, it was 
was our season, our big year, our comeback year. So you appreciate uh, history, but you not, there's nothing quite like being a part of a team that is successful. Even though you don't run the ball, you don't defend the pass, you are associated in the two areas of the team. And I have that experience in several book opportunities that I've enjoyed over the years. Now, I've got to ask you this one more Georgia Bulldog question, and then we're going to talk about five, ten minutes about the Masters. I'm going to let you go. I want to ask you about what was it like? Well, I mean, truly, what was it like to get to cover a, a not only an SEC legend, a Georgia legend, but a college football legend, a Hall of Fame coach, and head coach Vince Dooley? I mean, when you look up college football in the encyclopedia, you see a picture of Vince Dooley with Bear Bryant and various others, but what was it like to, to walk beside him and to cover those teams that he was a part of and that he'd led? Well, it was just an exciting time. We're going uh, you know, every year, we didn't know how the record would be, but we always felt we had a chance to be successful under Vince. He had a very sound coaching philosophy, run the football, played defense, and underscored the kicking game, uh, very simplified it if you use it in those terms, but uh, it works. And now those some off years, those some down years, I think you're going to have that over a 25-year career. But it was just great to go to the office and go to work. And then I was part of uh, a lot of developments. I uh, put the radio network together uh, <coughs> with some new features. I had that relationship. And then I wrote a book, uh, I wrote several books, as a matter of fact, about Georgia history and Georgia football in Georgia uh, in 1980. I co-authored a book with Lewis, a very popular columnist here in the state for years. And I've uh, uh, done a book on Larry Munson, a terrific announcer. So it's just been a lot of fun because uh, we're always going to win. Uh, you, you felt like that. And, uh, only one losing season Vince had in 25 years, and that was still something on the front. Just uh, unlikely that uh, that could come about. In our minds, those of us who followed him, those of us who were around him and watched him develop. But uh, I, I can imagine how it was like uh, with the old New York Yankees, uh, with Mickey Mantle and all those that era team in the 50s. During spring training, not only knowing uh, that you could win the tournament, you expected to win. Yeah. Uh, so with under this, we expected to compete for the SEC championship. Now I've got to ask you. We're going to switch over to Masters. You have been going to the Masters since 1960. Right? That is a long time since to go to the Masters. You have covered the likeness of Arnold Palmer, Jack Nicholas. I mean Gary Player. Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, and so on and so on. The Masters is just as Southern as SEC football. Lauren, I want to ask you about the covering the Masters. First, what is it like? I've never been to Augusta, and a lot of my listeners have never been to Augusta. What is the grounds at Augusta, and is it as awing in person as it is on TV? Well, it might even be better, because I don't think TV can do uh, the magnitude of the national uh, justice. You know, uh, I don't know what the like 
expectancy of a cigarette bud is without 30 seconds. Uh, the flowers seem to uh, bloom on cue almost. Uh, and if it's, you get an unseasonably warm or cold spell, if it's uh, warm, they'll leave an ice down the azaleas, trying to keep them from blooming and shedding until just the right time. So it is uh, probably one of the most beautiful pieces of property there is in the world. And it's just magnificent. I think the uh, three classic sporting events that I've ever attended would be Wimbledon, Kentucky Derby, and, and the Masters. Uh, just magnificent settings and just magnificent tradition. And you can't you can't find fault with anything. Even the food gets headlines. So that's a, you probably heard about the iconic uh, pimento cheese sandwiches. Uh, the fans who go there, they can't wait to get a pimento cheese sandwich and a Coke and uh, that caution on the way. Now i got to ask you, before we get into talking about the 1986 Masters, what is those pimento and cheese sandwiches just like? Because everybody you talk to, whether they've been to Augusta, they've ordered the package from fanatics.com, including this article I'm reading right now on Augusta.com. Talk about those pimento and cheese sandwiches, and are they as divine as they look on everywhere you ever see them, whether that be on social media or the TV or even in person when they get shipped to the house? Well, I would say uh, that it's... Uh, the, the, the Augusta National and everything about it has traditionally been understated. Uh, you know, uh, it took them a long time to put up uh, whole uh, signs on the tee, flags, uh, excuse me, markers, the little wooded marker that shows you the uh, carved in wood, the, the traps and everything. And that, for the longest time, they just simply would go out and cut a uh, a tree, and if you put your thumb and forefinger around it, they would barely touch unless you got NBA hands. And uh, those were the, uh, they were trimmed, cut, and those were the, and they still are there, they uh, become the tea marker. And then uh, they would split a pine log in two and get it uh, cut the limb and turn that pine log into a bench. And uh, they let the uh, upper side, of course, they have to get treated and all the resin. Um, they take the line to be polished and varnished. I've been pictures of Eisenhower and all sitting on those doctored uh, uh, logs. So it's been understated for so many years, yet they have the money to, you know, to build a Taj Mahal had the tea if they wanted to. So, uh, I, I just think it's, it's just always just has the greatest natural feel, the greatest natural feel, and just so spectacular. It was an indigo plantation years ago, and everything about it is just charming and just really so. Now, looking over history, one of the most iconic moments in Masters history was that 1986 Masters when Jack Nicklaus won his sixth Masters championship. Talk about that moment in history, and according to this article on Augusta.com, 
that is your all-time favorite Masters moment because of your relationship with Jack Nicholas, you know, and his daughter going to Georgia, which a lot, not a lot of people know about. But talk about that 1986 Masters in particular and what that meant to you, and just talk about that moment and being in that. Well, moment. it was just a spectacular event. Uh, Jack, uh, everybody thought was perhaps over the hill, and the Atlanta sports writer Tom McCollister wrote that. And Jack's house guest in those years, actually, uh, one and a half years, Jack, Bob and Jack, and. Uh, uh, the Savics, Pandal Savic from Columbus, Ohio, who ran Jack's tournament at Memorial for years. And a guy named John Montgomery of Executive Sports, who was Jack's good friend. And John uh, ran a lot of tournaments on the PGA Tour there for several years. They all shared a room, or shared a room in the house, and shared quarters and cooked out. Uh, you know, so the, before Berkman's place, there was just nowhere to in Augusta without standing in line forever. And uh, Robert Nicholas and Nancy Montgomery and uh, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting Pamela Savage's last first name, but they all were uh, good and very uh, willing cooks, so they cooked for themselves, and if any guests showed up, announced for otherwise. <laughs> uh, they were prepared to take them out. And uh, yeah, John Montgomery put Tom McAllister's story that Nicholas is over the hill. I forgot what the actual words were, but he put it on the refrigerator. So if Jack went in for a Diet Coke, which he loves, he'd see that article. And uh, it did sort of sting him a little bit. And that served his motivation. But he had to have a lot of help. Uh, everybody says hit it in the water at 15. He was... Uh, in contention, and he could have uh, uh, caught Jack, perhaps, and he was a younger man. You have to factor in the possibilities. And then the last hole, Greg Norman goes wide right. If he hits it on the green, uh, uh, who knows? Uh, he might have had a chance to at least get in the playoff. But everything fell in place, and Jack is like uh, the gods of God really wanted him to win it because he, he did what he had to do. To win the thing, and he had such he has such great knowledge. Jack has a tremendous mind. He is a bright, bright human being, and he never forgets anything. I remember he had a putt on seventeen coming in, and I was talking to Jack and his son, and Jackie read the green with a in one direction, and Jack said no. And he couldn't see as well as his son. He says, I think it breaks towards Ray's Creek. So he plays the break and the ball went in. So Jackie said after the round, we were chatting, he says his mind, his memory told him what his eyes couldn't see. So he's just a marvelously bright and successful person. Uh, that's why he's been successful in his non gotten adventures. And it was, it was always a pleasure to try and talk with Jack. He just had so much insight into things. He is Lauren Smith, a truly an iconic Southeastern, not only Georgia, but a Southeastern journalism and just an overall an amazing guy. Mr. Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the Mitch Davis Show. 
Go dogs to you, and best of luck to the Bulldogs this season. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight. Follow the Instagram page at the Mitch Davis Show, and also be sure you head on over to the website for wall-to-wall daily coverage of SEC Media Days down there in Hoover, Alabama. A very special thank you to Lauren Smith for coming on the podcast today to talk all things Georgia Bulldogs, the Masters, and so many great stories and informational historical things that have happened in the SEC and at the Masters. And also a very special thank you to Rob Brown of Sidelines.Live for hooking me up with one of the greatest journalists and greatest men in the SEC folklore history, Mr. Lauren Smith, on today's podcast. You've been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. Again, follow me on Twitter at Mitch Davis underscore eight, Instagram at the Mitch Davis Show, and also check out the website at TheMitchDavisShow.com. Thank you for listening. Have a great week, folks. Enjoy the SEC Media Days as we inch closer to kickoff of the 2021 college football season.